This morning we'll be studying Genesis chapter 18 verses 1 to 15. Genesis chapter 18 verses 1 to 15. Before we read that, we'll pray. Please join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your word, the Holy Scriptures. And we pray, our Father, that you indeed would prepare our hearts to receive the Scriptures for that which they are, the very words of God. May we be given ears that hear, eyes that see, and understanding hearts that are willing and obedient. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 18, we'll read verses 1 to 15. And the Lord appeared to him, it's speaking of Abraham, and the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Memre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favour in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I, while I bring you a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seers of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out, and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. Amen. We'll leave our reading there. One thing that struck me as I read Genesis 18 during the week, and obviously in preparing to preach, I've read it many a time. In this chapter, God goes to an awful lot of trouble to reveal himself to Abraham in ways that Abraham could appreciate and understand. Think about it. Three men turn up at the door of Abraham's tent. Abraham starts to um, entertain them. He starts to practice his hospitality as any polite man of that day and age would have done. But it very quickly becomes obvious that he's not dealing with three ordinary men. There are two angels and one person is his Lord, Yahweh, his God. That one person is actually our pre-incarnate saviour. Remember, we're told in Scripture that no one has ever seen God, only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Or if you read the New King James, as I know many here do, um, it tells you the only begotten son. 
he has made him known, saying basically the same thing. The second person of the Trinity is the one who has revealed God to humanity and is all, and has always been the person who reveals God to humanity. He appears before Abraham as a man. And then he sits and has a meal that Abraham prepares. And later on, and we'll be looking at this next week, later on, um, he speaks to Abraham as a friend. That's why we took that little reading out of Isaiah chapter 41, particularly verse 8. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. As I said, next week's portion, we're actually um, as people, you know, little people. The scriptures speak to us all, by the way. As people, we're invited into an internal conversation in the mind of God. Now think of that. God who knows everything. God who knows all things. God whose knowledge is absolutely and utterly perfect. Who is never surprised. Who has a plan for humanity that is faultless and cannot fail. And yet... In Genesis chapter 18 and verses um, 16 down to verse 21, God says to us, if I were to have an internal conversation with myself as though I wasn't sure what I was going to do, this is what it sounds like. And he speaks about, oh, should I let Abraham know what my plan is or should I keep it secret? God reveals himself to us in the way that we can understand. You know, you you don't speak to a toddler using words of six and seven syllables. You don't try and speak to a toddler in Latin if you happen to know Latin. God speaks to us in ways that we understand. And all of Genesis chapter 18 is basically God revealing himself to us as Abraham's friend. And that's important because you want to understand that... um, We're friends with God. We're friends with this same God. It's the pre-incarnate second person of the Trinity who is dealing with and speaking to Abraham. And that pre-incarnate second person of the Trinity, he became incarnate. He took upon himself flesh. He walked upon this earth and he spoke of greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. You see, there's many reasons why the scripture calls Abraham the father of the faithful. Abraham was called the friend of God and we, my friends, through our saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, are friends of God. The Lord appears to Abraham by the oaks of Memre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, three men were standing in front of them. Now, what we see here is... You know, the impression you get, what's, the, what's, uh, what's one of the words that stands out? Haste, speed. Abram, Abraham, I should say, ran. He ran from the tent door to meet them. He didn't just walk. He ran to meet them. And then when he asked them, would you stay? Could I bring you some food? He went quickly into the tent and then he said to Sarah, quickly, get moving, woman. 
Make some food up. We're going to feed these people out here. He went quickly into the tents. Then he ran to the herd. That'd be a distance. Think about it. You're setting up a bit of a tent city. Abraham has a a large um, gathering of people living with him. Do you keep the cattle just outside the tent? Or is the herd away from the tent? Well, think about it. You'd put the herd away from the tent. I don't know if you've noticed, but cows smell and cows attract flies. And if you've got something that attracts flies just off over there, guess what? Most of the flies will be off over there. Farmers aren't totally stupid, believe it or not. Abraham runs to the herd and there he selects the best of the herd, the best food he could find, the best young, the best young bull he could find. He gives it to a young man and the young man is to prepare it quickly. Move, get moving, hurry up. It's gone from uh, siesta time. Abraham's resting at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. And if the boss is resting in the door of his tent at the heat of the day, you can pretty much assume everyone else is having a little bit of a rest. Suddenly, three guests turn up and everybody better move because Abraham's moving and he's moving fast and he expects everyone around him to move fast. And the young man prepared it quickly. And then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. He stood there now like a waiter. You know, his his rest time messed up. He works up a bit of a sweat rushing around about the place, getting the whole setup organised. Then he takes the food to them and then he stands there like a waiter. Is there anything else you need? Is there anything else I can do for you? Hospitality. What can I do for you? I think by this stage he's started to realise, but that he's not dealing with just three ordinary men. You know, we read in Hebrews chapter 13 that sometimes people have entertained angels unawares. At first, I think he might have thought, these are men. They're obviously um, decent men and I'm going to uh, practise hospitality. But I think he's pretty quickly becoming aware they're not just three ordinary men. There's something going on here. The Lord appears to him as a man, a man. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. Now think about it. They asked him a question. Did they know the answer before they asked it? Obviously. Of course they knew the answer before they asked it. Later on in the chapter, we realise Abraham is speaking directly to Yahweh. Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. Yahweh said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Here's the promise. Remember, Abraham had asked, oh, that Ishmael would stand before you. God's answer was no but. No but. Ishmael shall not stand before you. In Genesis chapter 7, 17 and verse 17, we read this. Or actually, we'll read from verse 15. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. 
Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Where is Sarah, your wife? Abraham answers, she is in the tent. Verse 10, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Well, my friends, we need to think carefully. God is gracious to his people. God is gracious to all of his people. And he accommodates himself to our weakness. Psalm 103 in the ESV, one of the verses in Psalm 103. If you want to turn there with me, let's quickly look at it. Verses 13 and 14. As a a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. He remembers that we are made from the earth. He remembers that he himself created us. He remembers that we are the created ones and that he is the creator. He knows what we're like. He knows our weakness. He knows our abilities. He knows us. My friends, there's great comfort in that for the people of God. There's not so much comfort in that for the people who are not the people of God. They don't want to be known by God and they don't want to know God. And yet they can't escape their knowledge and they can't escape the fact that God knows who they are. God knows all about them. God knows everything that there is to know about them. Why do I point that out? Well, if Sarah is hearing God speak, why is she able to hear God speak? Think about it. Who hears God speak? Only those whom God wants to hear him speak. No one else. If God did not want to be heard by Sarah, God would not have been heard by Sarah. She might have been able to hear Abraham speak, but she would have had no idea how the conversation was running. Sarah heard God speak. Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Verse 11, now Abraham and Sarah, back in Genesis 18, were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. It's basically saying she was past menopause. She was finished in terms of childbearing. It appears that she had been barren all of her life up until this point. And now, you know, if you wanted to um, sort of work it out, you would say she's barren and she's barren. I mean, she's, she's no longer cycling. She's no longer fertile in the technical sense of the word. Verse 12, so Sarah laughed to herself. She didn't make a noise. She laughed to herself. Internal conversation here in her own mind. Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old. So she's speaking of Abraham. She's thinking of their relative ages and thinking of the fact that she has ceased to to be in the way of a woman. Shall I have pleasure? Shall I have pleasure? I don't think she's actually speaking literally of the sexual union. I think she's speaking of the joy of bringing a son into the world, which in her mind is the one great thing she never had in her life. She may be the wife of Abraham, 
She may indeed be the wife of a man who is blessed and a friend of God, but she had never given him a son. Shall I have the pleasure of bringing a son into the world? Shall I have the pleasure of fulfilling my husband's desires? Shall I have that pleasure now? God is gracious. God is very gracious. Abraham laughed. Back at Genesis chapter 17 and verse 17, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And I think he just laughed in sheer amazement at the thought of it. It's not that he disbelieved. It's not that he uh, was questioning whether or not God would do this thing. But it was just as he thought of it, he thought of just how crazy this was. He was delighted with the thought. This is crazy. You mean God's made us wait 90 and 100 years before the kid comes along? Why would he do it that way? This is madness. But let God be God. Because Abraham was not rebuked at Genesis chapter 17, verse 17. But at Genesis chapter 18, verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Okay. Sarah, standing there, you know, if if the conversation were happening here, she's sort of just standing around the corner there, completely out of sight, speaking within her own mind, but being allowed to listen to the words of God. Sarah, I know the thoughts that are running through your head. You think in your head, you laugh in your own mind, and you may as well have spoken out loud. I know the thoughts that are running through your head. Consider that, friends. I know the thoughts that are running through your head, says God. Frightening. It should be frightening. Vain imaginations and all of the other evil thoughts that run through our mind from one day to the next. But God is gracious to his people. And we're going to see that God is gracious to Sarah. The Lord said, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Um, How does the New King James put it? Does it say is anything too wonderful for the Lord or anything too hard? Pardon? Uh, Verse 14. Yeah, it's literally wonderful. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Basically, imagine the most wonderful thing that you could imagine and God is saying, I can do that. I can do that. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh. For she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. No, but you did laugh. My friends, uh, this is I'm kind of amusing. It's kind of amusing. You know, you, you, you've, got a, you've got a beloved, let's say, grandchild. I have a beloved grandchild. He's walking around. Imagine... My dark chocolate, I like dark chocolate. My dark chocolate goes missing. And he's at our place. And 
I walk around the corner and there he is, black stuff smeared all over his face, black stuff in his fingers, black stuff down his front. Have you been in Grandpa's chocolate? No, no, I didn't. No, wouldn't have touched it. No. Now, at that point in time, I'm going to be sort of torn between laughing and thinking, wow, come on, just tell me the truth. But you know what I mean? It's kind of amusing. It's kind of funny. Sarah denied it, saying I did not laugh, for she was afraid. (laughs) And God said, no, but you did laugh. I know that you laughed. By the way, the child is going to be called Isaac. Laughter. Well, he laughs. Every time you say his name, you're going to be reminded of this moment for the, very, for the rest of your life. God is very gracious to his people. God is very gracious towards people like you and I. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. If God had not chosen to set his grace, to set his love upon Sarah, well, this would have been sin that simply confirmed her in her sinfulness. But instead, God replies, no, but you did laugh. And in scripture, Sarah is praised. Hebrews 11.11, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. And in 1 Peter 3.6, Sarah is praised as a wife to be respected, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Conviction of sin is good. Conviction of sin is good. My friends, as Christians, be easily convicted of sin. Be easily convicted of sin. Let your conscience convict you. Conviction of sin is good, but I'm telling you, you must be convicted of something else even at the same time. You must be convicted that God who is gracious forgives us our sins, that God who is gracious has plans for us, that God who is gracious uses people like you and I. We're not worthy. We don't deserve it. We wouldn't know him unless he had made himself known. He's dealing with us as though we are silly little children, yet he loves us. Yet he loves us. Turn to Matthew chapter 11. Reading from verse 25 of Matthew chapter 11. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Things are hidden from the wise and the understanding. Things are hidden from them 
God chooses to hide them from the wise and the understanding with all their knowledge and with all their education. It comes to nothing in the sight of God. It's up to God. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father and no one knows the Son except the Father and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. If we know God, it is because God has revealed himself to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it is because the Son has chosen to reveal him. On what basis, my friends? On what basis? Our works? The best thing we've ever done, it accounts for nothing. The best thing we've ever done. What have, what have any of us, what has any of us ever done that is not in some way selfish? You know, it's strange. You know, even, even if we learn humility, we become proud of our humility. That's how twisted we are. That's how wicked we are. What work have we ever done that's good enough for God that would put God in our debt? It's so difficult for people to escape from this trap of thinking, if my faith is strong, God will bless me. If my sanctification is powerful, growing, God will bless me. If I do what is right, God will notice me. It's a strange balance that we try to uphold as Christians, isn't it? Because we do want strong faith and we do want to grow in sanctification and we do want to do what is right. But it's a trap if ever we think that these things draw down God's blessings. We're blessed because God first loved us. We love God because God first loved us. We have life because God made us alive. We don't earn our salvation. We don't earn the love of God. God gives us the things that he wants to find in us. You know, my children were younger. They'd go to school. They'd buy a Father's Day present on a, on a little table at the school during the lunch hour when it came around to Father's Day. Whose money were they using to buy it? Mine. I paid for the gift that they give to me. I still loved the gift. It still meant something to me. They were still showing their love for me. But they were doing it by my power. I actually worked for the gift that they gave me. That's the illustration of the Christian life. That which God desires in us, that which God wants from us, he plants within us. He plants that seed, the seed which is the word of God. Turn to 1 John. 1 John and chapter 3. We'll start reading from verse 1 of 1 John chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness, Sin is lawlessness. 
You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Looking again at verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Born of God. Born of the working of God's word. God's word is God's seed. God's seed abides in God's people. And so God sets up a war. Remembering back in Genesis chapter 3, what, what did God tell the serpent, Adam and Eve? There would be a seed of the woman. There would be a seed of the serpent. And there would ever be warfare between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And that warfare, it starts in the hearts of the people who have been born of God. It's a war. You start fighting. When you are born again by the power of God's Holy Spirit, when you are born again by the implanting of the seed that is the word of God, you start fighting. You start fighting for your own mind. You start fighting for your own thought life, your own imagination. Making every thought captive to Christ bringing every thought under the authority of the word of God, fighting for your own life. But the battle goes outwards. It starts from within because God is working within us to will and to work for his good pleasure and then the battle goes outwards. We're fighting for our own lives. We're fighting for the lives of the people around about us. We're fighting for the lives of our family. We're preaching the gospel. We're speaking the word of God. We're living the word of God in their sight. We're turning from sin. We're turning to righteousness. We cannot keep on sinning. We have this desire to no longer be what once we were. We have this desire to be Christ-like. Who desires to be Christ-like? Only people who have been born of God. Only people who have been born of God. I'm not saying that there aren't people in the world that don't desire to do good works, but get to know them. They want to do good works and they want to continue to be what they are, even at the same time. And their thinking is that somehow or other their good works will outweigh the evil state that they themselves live in. And they want to do good works. member of my family rung me during the week wanted to talk to me about the pastor of their church on Easter Sunday, no less. The pastor of their church told them that the cross was not about sin and God doesn't really care about sin and he himself was not a sinner and couldn't remember the last time he sinned. After all, he hadn't killed anyone. That came across a pulpit on Easter Sunday. Yeah. I'm telling you, the seed that is the word of God does not abide in that man. 
He thinks he's doing good works. He thinks he's preaching comfort to the people around them. He thinks, you know, he's building them up in grace. He thinks he's taking a burden off their shoulders. Even as he himself lives in whatever sin it is that is dominating his life, the pride, the refusal to humble himself, to submit himself to the word of God. He wants to do good works even while he remains in his sin. And he thinks that what he is calling his good works will somehow or other put him in good stead with God. God hates him. I'm telling you, God hates that man. He is a wolf in sheep's clothing. That he would open the scriptures before the people of God and say such things. He's a false prophet. He's a wolf in sheep's clothing. His heart is hardened. My friends, God is very gracious. God is very gracious to us. He comes to us as we are. He speaks to us in ways that we understand. He makes us his own. He loves us. He plants his seed, that word of God within us by the power of his Holy Spirit. It's all um, in a way that which we're reading or we've just read here in 1 John chapter 3. It's, you know, there, there are different phrases in the scripture that, that describe exactly the same thing. It's describing being born again. It's describing, as Jeremiah said, it's describing having the law of God written on the heart and their sins are forgiven and I remember their iniquities no more. It's, it's describing that seed which is the word of God. It's describing true repentance. It's describing the gift of faith. It's describing that you were dead yet you have been made alive. All of these phrases are all describing the same thing. God reaching out into the life of a person and changing them. So Sarah is one of those people in Scripture that we're told to recognise as a faithful person. She's held up to us as an example, and yet even so, what you might think of as almost the worst moment of her life in a way, of her spiritual life, it's here and demonstrated before all of us. You know, we get this warts and all view. God said you'll bear a child. Sarah laughed. <laughs> really? It's finished with me and everybody knows it. She didn't say it out loud, but God knew the thoughts that were running through her mind. And then when God speaks to her, she denies it, saying, I did not laugh. And God smiles back at her and says, no, you did. You did. And Sarah, you're still my person. I've still set my heart upon you. You're still going to come into eternal life. You're going to enter into my eternal kingdom. You're still my child. You're still going to be the mother of the promised child. Isaac, a type, a forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's eternally begotten son, having taken upon himself flesh. Isaac, a type. Remember, he gets offered, but God, God uh, sends down a substitute or a substitute lamb is caught in a thicket. You're still my child. I'm still going to work with you. You're still going to be held up as one of the faithful. And so, my friends, be willing to be convicted of sin. Be willing to be convicted of sin. Don't deny it. And there's no point lying to God about it, for he truly knows. He knows all too well. But be convicted that if you are in Christ, your sins are washed away by the blood of the Lamb. You are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. 
hold that conviction side by side with the conviction of your own sinfulness. We who are the people of God, he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we praise you for you know who we are. You know what we are. You know our every thought. You know every vain imagination. Every wickedness that we would keep hidden is naked before you. Our Father, we thank you and we praise you that there is forgiveness of sins in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you and we praise you that you would take people such as Abraham and Sarah and do great works in their lives. Father, let us be encouraged by the Holy Scriptures. Help us to remember the Scripture assures us that we are indeed of the offspring of Abraham and that we are indeed friends of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, may we, may we be strengthened, may we be encouraged, and may we be used greatly by you. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.